Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, you have to step away from the radio to head into work, or for any other reason, you don't have to miss out on the conversation here on Detroit Today. You can always go to iTunes or wherever it is you download podcasts. You download and subscribe to us here on Detroit Today. You can take us with us with you and listen to us when you are ready. We want to spend the day today talking about sexual assault and sexual harassment. For so long, many victims of sexual violence have found it really difficult or impossible to talk about their stories. But now we're starting to see victims come forward now that a string of celebrities, politicians, and public figures have been accused in really public ways of multiple sexual assaults. Those cases reflect what we generally see in the dynamics between attackers and their victims, powerful males targeting people, mostly women, who are in weaker positions compared to their attackers. But what is it about those gender dynamics that make them so common? What is it about maleness that leads to this kind of behavior? And if this is a problem that is about men or the definition of maleness in American society, what are we supposed to do about that? That's where we want to start the show today with those questions. And of course, we want to hear from you all hour about this subject. What do you think of the stories of sexual assault that are coming out with increasing frequency and uh, in number a number of different areas of our society, in politics, in entertainment? All of a sudden, we're hearing much more about men who are being accused of taking advantage of women when they have power over those women. Uh, What do you think about the idea of this as a male problem? Is this a problem with men? Is it a problem with the way we define maleness here in America that maybe gives people the sense that they have license to do these things or that there won't be consequence if they do them? And what do you think we ought to do to change those dynamics? Are those dynamics changing Uh, by virtue of the frequency with which people are now speaking out? Are they changing by virtue of the consequences that are are now being meted out against people who are accused of these things? Are we in the middle of a cultural transition around not only uh, the question of sexual assault and sexual harassment, but also about gender definition and power. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or if you want to go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, we will try to work your comments into the conversation. Tell us what you think about why we're seeing more of this right now and what we ought to do with it. And we're going to kick off the conversation today uh, with two experts on this subject. Antonia Abbey is a professor and social personality area chair at Wayne State University. She's the incoming editor of Psychology of Violence, which is a multidisciplinary research journal devoted to violence and extreme aggression. Also with us is Sherry Hamby. She's the current editor of Psychology of Violence and director of the Life Pass Appalachian Research Center and research professor at the University of the South in Tennessee. Antonia and Sherry, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much. Yeah. Good morning. Thank you for having us. So let's start with that question I just posed. Is this a problem with maleness? Is this a problem with the way in this society we define 
the difference between men and women. And the reason, I guess, I start there and ask that question is because no matter what the circumstances are in, in these cases that we're hearing about and, and seeing about, and no matter what arena it's in, politics or ent- entertainment or anywhere, it seems that it is overwhelmingly, if not exclusively, men who are responsible for this problem. And one of the things that I thought was very interesting in the last few weeks was uh, the case of Kevin Spacey, who whose victims were men in many cases, but they were being victimized by another man. You almost never see this uh, play out in the opposite. And so I think that raises that question for us here on the show. What is it about being a man, what is it about how we think of maleness in America that leads people to behave this way? I'll, I'll start with you, uh, Antonia Abbey. Well, certainly that we have images of masculinity in our society that allow this kind of behavior to be more um, common or condoned. So I don't want to make it sound like all masculinity involves this, right? But we have an image of masculinity where Men are instrumental, men are hygienic, men are looking to be in charge and have power and control. And we have images of gender roles and gender relations, right, where um, men take the lead in sexual relationships and women are supposed to set the limits. You know, this sounds so old fashioned. This is stuff we you know, <laughs> talked about in the 60s and right. I think a lot of us thought would go away a long time ago. Mm-hmm. But still, when we do surveys of young adults, they still tend to kind of um, have these stereotypes and these ideas that... Um, Men take the lead, women hold back, women feel more responsible for making things nice and not making a scene. So sometimes they try and control these situations in a way that um, is less extreme, but and trying to kind of, and especially if the person has power over them, right, as we're talking about in some of these dynamics mm-hmm. where the individual had a lot of power over that individual, it's, surprised, it's not surprising that someone's going to move slowly and try and not um, hurt their own reputation as a part of it. So... That idea that people with power use their power in a variety of ways, not always ways that are positive. I don't, you know, I don't think is a new theme, but right. I'm certainly glad to see that we're addressing it now and that people are comfortable coming forward and getting a positive support for coming forward. So I yeah. think that's a positive sign. Sure, sure. Uh, Sherry Hamby, one of the things that that also strikes me about this uh, the the latest wave of revelations is the sort of casual nature of these encounters. They, they, they seem to just sort of unfold as part of uh, normal rituals it, it, from, the, from the standpoint of the people sort of committing the assaults or, or the harassment. Uh, it, it's almost as if it's an unthinking act, uh, an instinctive act. Uh, and, and maybe that's, maybe that's reading too much into it, but, uh, but, but I'm, I'm curious what you think about whether that instinct uh, is biological? Uh, is it societal? Is it a combination of the two? I mean, what, are, what is it that we're seeing unfold here? Well, I agree with what Dr. Abby said, and I think in, it's important to, what can be illuminating to put these particular instances of sexual assault and sexual harassment in the broader context of other types of crime. And so in any kind of criminal act, the perpetrator has to do two things. They have to, as as Dr. Abby and, and you were just talking about, establish power over the, the victim, and they have to get 
access to the victim. So a lot of what is happening in these scenarios is that men have a lot of advantages there. Some of it is physical advantages that I, I wouldn't really want to call it instinctive or instinctual. I think that that is a, you know, a common misperception that's not really uh, held up like sometimes people point to evolutionary impulses. But those are really quite poor exam- uh, explanations for sexual assault. For example, the Kevin Spacey scenario you mm-hmm. just mentioned that wouldn't explain while there's any male-on-male offending. It wouldn't explain like Louis C.K.'s behavior, which is just masturbation. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't have any, you know, it's not going to produce any offspring. Um, but these circumstances do give them power. So men do have more physical power. Men are on average taller and have more muscle mass than women. And so that makes them, that gives them an advantage in perpetration right away, just because of those differences in physical size and strength. And then of course, what's so important to understand and all of these cases that we've been talking about these last several weeks, there's the social power that's conferred on them. So I do think that it's uh, it's casual in the sense that men have so much more social power in so many different situations than than many women do. That is still very much the case. And so these are all very powerful men who are using their, their social power in ways so that that their physical power becomes uh, secondary in most of the cases that have been uh, coming to the news these days. Uh, so I, but I think it's not really, uh, I wouldn't call it casual because I, I do think that there's a lot of quite systematic predation going on where, uh, you know, the stories about Harvey Weinstein, for example, suggest that he had even coerced some of his production staff mm-hmm. into assisting him with this and that he was set intentionally setting up these scenarios to hold meetings in his hotel room. And, you know, that's quite premeditated. Right. And, and I guess by, by casual, I mean uh, maybe common, right? Uh, the, 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 the stories that are coming out now seem as though uh, these are people who are engaged in this, in this behavior as a matter of routine. And I think mm. maybe, maybe that's what's jumping out at me. I don't mean, I, don't mean, uh, I guess, without intentional thought. Uh, but without much thought, perhaps, uh, is, is the well, way to put it. Well, it's easy for them. I mean, I would certainly agree with, with you there. That, uh, and I suspect that part of what's happening is that because of the way these disclosures have been coming out, and I think one of the things that's really led to this sea change in the last few weeks is when so many women went on the record against, uh, you know, Bill Cosby and then Harvey Weinstein and, you know, and now, uh, you know, Roy Moore and Louis C.K. and all these other men. And so it gives them power in, in numbers. And uh, and then also, I think it was really key for some of the shift in the way that this has been treated as our society is when really powerful women like Angelina Jolie and Gwyneth Paltrow came out and spoke up and said that this, you know, that they, that they'd had similar experiences or Mm -hmm. that they knew this to be true about this person. And so people who were really able to lend their own social power to these women's claims. 
and then that has been a lot of what is happening. And so the funny thing about it is that I think what's ended up happening is we're probably capturing some of the the worst offenders who have so many victims that they're able to put their their joint power together to to rise up against one of some of these offenders. But I suspect that we are still missing a lot of lower level offenders, including probably some very powerful men who are lower level offenders. Sure, sure. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Antonia Abbey, a professor and social personality area chair at Wayne State University, incoming editor of Psychology of Violence. Also here is Sherry Hamby. She is the current editor of Psychology of Violence and director of the Life Paths Appalachian Research Center and research professor at the University of the South. We're talking about sexual harassment and sexual assault, the stories about sexual harassment and sexual assault by people in tremendous uh, positions of power in Hollywood, in politics, that are coming out with increasing frequency now, it seems, and the number of women who are stepping forward uh, in the wake of those revelations to say, hey, this happened to me too. Uh, We're talking this entire hour about sexual assault and sexual harassment and the gender dynamics that surround it. Think about all of these incidents. They involve men victimizing other men or women. Uh, We have not heard stories about women in powerful positions victimizing other women or men. Why is that so? Is that a function of our culture? Is that something about maleness in itself that uh, that lends itself to this kind of behavior or lends itself to believing that this kind of behavior is okay because maybe there won't be consequences. Uh, what do you think about the conversation that's shaping up in a big way around sexual assault and harassment in America? What do you make of these accusations coming out against powerful men like Harvey Weinstein, Louis C.K., Dustin Hoffman, Kevin Spacey? The list just keeps going on and on. And how does this play into your understanding of gender and power dynamics. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Before we get to the phones, uh, Antonia and Cherry, I want to ask you about the the difference between men and women here. Uh, Why don't we see powerful women, and this is a nation that in the last 30, 40 years has vastly increased the opportunities for women to become powerful, to get positions where they have power over other women, over other men. How come we don't see this same dynamic unfold there? It suggests, again, that it's not just about power. There is something about gender involved. Am I wrong for assuming that, Antonia? Well, women can certainly use their power inappropriately against people, so I don't want to make it sound like sure. women never do this, right? So sure. um, that, that's an important point. And women, but I think we have to just think a lot about the way people are taught, um, you know, from early in life to handle situations. So women are taught to use power, I think, and to relate to other people in different ways. And those are messages that we internalize and just become a part of us. And, you know, also to recall that there's lots of variability in men and women, right? So any statements we make like this sound very broad brush, right? And it doesn't apply to every individual. But, um, you know, men are taught to be more comfortable with their sexual desires, to feel like they should act on them. 
Um, I think the social norms are really important that we should talk more about. So, you know, people get away with this behavior, right? We still have people laughing, making excuses for locker room talk, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, so we're seeing more outrage about some of this, but still some of the low-level stuff, the street harassment, the other types of comments that, you know, women so more often get than men. Men see other men rewarded for doing that. They see that as a way of having power in their social group. So people respond to those rewards, right? A young man growing up that sees you have power when you use women in those ways, talk about women in those ways, you know, sexually objectify women and the other people laugh and, you know, as opposed to call you out. So I think that when we think about how we allow this to continue in our society, you know, we all have to look to ourselves and think about why is this still going on? Why did it make? Why did these women have so much trouble coming forward when everybody knew it was happening, right? Yeah, right. So there's that underlying acceptance as a society that I think we have to deal with now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Sherry Hamby, I'm reminded uh, by this conversation uh, of a movie that came out in 1994. It was called Disclosure, and it starred Demi Moore and Michael Douglas, and uh, it, it sort of flipped the tables on the sexual harassment equation and depicted a woman, a powerful woman, who sexually assaulted uh, a man. And sort of the movie went on sort of uh, making making much of the, the, the gender dynamic there, the people not believing the man, not people uh, not believing that maybe he was entitled to any sort of uh, recompense or, or anything from that. That's 23 years ago, and yet... Uh, I, I would have a hard time imagining that same movie being made today and being taken quite seriously again because it seemed outlandish. It seems outlandish. It seems like the thing that is least likely to happen. Uh, is that about? Is that? A, is there something about that that's about gender and not power? Uh, I guess is the question. Well, yeah, it's it's a tough question. I'm, I totally agree with everything that that Dr. Abby just said about, and I I think that there are a lot of rigid gender roles that certainly do uh, take vulnerable or high-risk men and make it more likely that they're going to become perpetrators because there are all of these, you know, so many young men are just in such a, a panic, for example, to to come across to their peers as sexually experienced, and it's still far more stigmatizing for young men to, uh, you know, using this word, I don't really like this word because it's a, you know, it's a stigmatizing word, but to, you know, to be able to to think of themselves as virgins or to be labeled virgins is it's a lot more stigmatizing for young men than mm-hmm. it is for young women to have you know a limited number of, of partners or to feel that they are not sufficiently sexually assertive those are all things where men are still shoved into these very rigid boxes regarding their gender roles and although i think that is starting to finally unpack it's really probably a good uh, 40 or even maybe 50 years behind you know, some of the the first cracks that you can think of historically in, in, in women's uh, sexual roles and stereotypes. And mm-hmm. I think women have had a lot more flexibility in yeah, compared to the, the roles they were shoved into in the 1950s or earlier than that, and that men just now are finally starting to get to a place where it's 
it's okay to acknowledge that maybe they're not, you know, sexually aroused like all the time or on the verge of being sexually aroused all the time and, and that they too can have a range of interest in sexual partners or that they can make their own decisions about what they want to do without enormous amounts of peer pressure. And I think that's just now starting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we'll try to work your comments into the conversation. No surprise already. Lots of folks want to chime in on this issue. Let's start with Jackie in Detroit. Jackie, welcome to Detroit. Hi. Uh Hi. Good morning. Uh Uh-huh. Go ahead. I I was just... uh listening to this and I was saying that this happened to me in the mid 90s and I was a young professional in the corporate world and one of our you know higher ups in a company he used to come in from out of town um, you know sexually harassed me and I had a witness um, about it but at the time and I didn't even realize that anybody saw it but our office manager happened to see it and she pulled me into her office at the time and you know she's like what do you want to do about this and quite honestly, I didn't want to do anything about it because I was just rising up in the company and I thought people were going to think I'm just some young, pretty girl and here's this, you know, doctor, he was a doctor of whatever, geology or something. And, um, you know, I was like, I don't want to do anything because that stigma is going to follow me through my career. So I never did. But it always bothered me. You know, it, it, it just did. But at that time... So anyway, I always I think that this is interesting. It's all coming out because, quite honestly, I think it's happened to most women in some way, shape, sure. or form if they were in the corporate world. Yeah. So, Jackie, let me let me ask you a question. Uh, when you see the number of women who are coming out now and saying that this happened to them, uh, some some in very high profile cases against very high profile men, does that for you change? The, the the frame in which you think of what happened to you and I know it's hard to maybe go back and and think 20 years ago but but do you feel like if more people uh, were doing that then it might have been easier for you to speak out or would you have had the same fears you know absolutely I think it's very empowering for me um, even now 20 years ago to hear that this that women are coming out because it makes me feel like you know, that really wasn't my fault. It was a power thing that men had and I think continue to have, um, not just physically, but emotionally. And um, I think it's very empowering for me, even even at this point, yeah. because, you know, you always just sort of feel a little bit of guilt about it. Like, should I have done something differently? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so having so knowing that now and listening to these other women you know, it's like anything. When a lot of people put a, a issue on the table, it sort of clears the air for a lot of people who have, weren't able to have a voice about it. Yeah, yeah, Jackie, I really appreciate uh, the call and sharing your story and your and your thoughts on this topic. Uh, thanks very much for being with us on Detroit today. Let's go to Steve in Detroit. Steve, you're up next on Detroit today. Morning. Hey, how are you? Uh. We have 14 grandchildren, my wife and I, 10 of them are granddaughters. And from the get-go, when they start to hit puberty, we instill in them, if somebody touches you the wrong way, no questions asked. Hit them in the mouth. And several of them have been in that situation. The oldest was in the corporate world, 
and her boss did that to her, and she brought his teeth through his lips. And they were going to let her go till they found out that what she did was because he groped her. And yeah, but, he's gone. Uh, so, Steve, I mean, I, I think uh, there are, I mean, I can say as a father of a daughter, uh, I can completely relate to uh, the, the sentiment behind what you're saying, even if I don't necessarily agree with the tactic. But but I guess my question is, do you think there should be a better way for us to be able to deal with these things? I mean, that seems a pretty harsh space to have to exist in the idea that you've got to teach your granddaughters to to fight. To, to defend themselves, to, to, to fight their, to defend their personal, their personal space. Uh, is that, is that where, I mean, is that where we should be? That's where it's gone to. And the reason it has is because 25 to 30 years ago, our whole society stopped. People think chivalry is dead. When's the last time you saw somebody open a door for a woman? When's the last time you saw somebody day, open a door for anyone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I, I think you're getting at something that, I think a lot of people uh, feel and understand, which is that 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 uh, things are a little rougher and a little harsher uh, than we might like them to be. Steve, thank you very much for the call and the comments. Uh, Antonia Abbey and Sherry Hamby, I want you to respond to what we've heard from uh, Steve and and Jackie there. Uh, two sort of opposite ends, I guess, of of, of the poll here. That the idea that we need to teach women to respond physically. To this, though, I think uh, is is kind of an extreme. Uh, well, I want to thank Jackie for sharing and mm-hmm. ag- agree with her that it is very hard to come forward in these cases, and I think it is empowering for women. And I think that's why sometimes when we're hearing now some of these recriminations of why did it take someone thirty years to come out, mm-hmm. you know, that um, why did they wait so long to talk about it, that it does take a lot of um, strength to come forward. In terms of um, the last comment, I, too, think women should know how to defend themselves, but I am really a strong proponent of us teaching more conflict resolution to um, mid, early, mid-adolescents that I, I know the schools are overwhelmed with all that they do, but I think that children need to know other ways to solve problems, and this is true in general with violence, but sure. particularly as they're starting to handle sexual relations and think about where are the limits, where are their personal limits, how do they convey that to someone else, the image they have in the media and all the pornography that's out there don't convey great sexual relationships and respect for each other and taking a no seriously. So I think we need to kind of counteract those messages more systematically, and there are some programs out there that are quite effective um, if they're, you know, the, the time and the energy that to find to fit those into um, yeah. schools and you know, the children's days. But I think there are ways we can help people learn how to resolve conflict and keep fighting as our last resort, hopefully. <laughs> I would hope so, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sherry Hamby, is that where we are? Uh, like he, like Steve said, uh, put someone's uh, teeth through their lips if, uh, if they do something that uh, is untoward in the workplace. Have we have we sunk that low? I guess is is the question in America, right? Uh, well, I I also very much appreciate both people sharing their stories, and I am also you know very sorry to hear about what what happened to Jackie and to Steve's granddaughter. Uh, but I I do think it's important to respond with as much force as you need to to repel an attack. I mean that is the general legal standard there. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but if you respond with more force than is necessary to repel an attack, you, you could potentially put yourself in some legal jeopardy. And But as a general rule, I would also just agree with what Dr. Abby said, is that our, our work is really about making... Uh, you know, reducing the incidence of violence of, of all kinds. And so I, I really would not want to trade physical assault for sexual assault and would really think that there are a lot of other ways of just being really, be, you know, a lot of women do need to be encouraged to be able to be more assertive, to be willing to be rude, and going back to the issue of gender that you brought up, I mean, one of the gender stereotypes is that is a problem in some of these circumstances is that women are taught to take responsibility for smoothing over social relations and making sure they don't create a scene. And sometimes you need to create a scene. And you know, so we do need to push back against those kinds of, of gender stereotypes, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I would really recommend first. And, you know, Yes, uh, hit somebody if you need to to repel them, but but I would recommend trying other strategies yeah, first, right, certainly. Right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about sexual harassment and sexual assaults, and we'll continue with your calls. Beth in Detroit, Jane in Canton, Jamal in Midtown, and Abe in Ferndale, we will get to you. Stay with us on Detroit Today. WDET, bringing you culture and information that empowers our community. Every day on 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Antonia Abbey, a professor and social social personality area chair at Wayne State University. She's the incoming editor of Psychology of Violence. Uh, also with us is Sherry Hamby. She's the current editor of Psychology of Violence and director of the Life Pass Appalachian Research Center and research professor at the University of the South. We're talking about sexual harassment and sexual assault, the recent uh, disclosures that we've heard at a very high level uh, about powerful men in powerful places uh, taking advantage of that power in the context of sexual assault and sexual harassment. Uh, We want to hear from you this hour about this issue. Uh, What do you make of these accusations coming out? What do you think about the conversation that's shaping up around the way sexual assault and sexual harassment shape life here in America? And what do you think we ought to do about this? Is this a gender problem? Is there a thing about maleness that uh, helps define this that we ought to be confronting more aggressively? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. Put your comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag us and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Let's go to Jamal in Midtown. Jamal, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Not too bad. Um, I just wanted to make the the comment, I guess. I've, uh, I I think, I, I really do, to be honest, I think that men are predisposed to some of the sexual harassment that we've been seeing. And I think it's a strong mix of biology heaped on with hundreds of years and thousands of years of of social of uh, sociology. Mm-hmm. I mean, of, of of misogyny and sexism being taught to men, but we are 
sexually we're the Audi, you know, we're the, the, the penetrator, you know. And so there are certain things biological that I think we are predisposed to. You know, if you look, for example, men are often thought of as being uh, uh, more powerful and more successful if they have women at their disposal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that just, that's just, you know, the, that just leads to misogyny and sexual harassment. But there is something biological about men that sexually, at least, it is arousing to think of being, you know, uh, sought after that way. Right. Having so, women, men and women at your sexual disposal. So, so Jamal, let me ask you this. Uh, what, what do we do about that? How, how do you push back against something that you are characterizing as a pretty important biological imperative almost? Uh, well, what, what do we teach the, young men, for instance, uh, about how yeah. to deal with that? Go ahead. Well, being being a father of a son and two daughters, then I, I have to, you know, give my perspective from my side of the fence, but also prepare my daughters and take their perspectives. And so, what I would say honestly is, is that I think that, like I said, I think that boys and men are biologically predisposed to sexually, at least, to to objectification, and so it's up to the men who've been through it, to teach their boys and to prepare their daughters so that you can have whatever that fine line is between a healthy sexual lifestyle and not going down the road of sexual harassment and misogyny and so on and so forth. But yeah. I think, honestly, it comes from the men who know and understand what those feelings are. Yeah. No, Jamal, I really appreciate the the call and the candor there about how to deal with uh, with young men. I think that, that it's something that all fathers face is how do you how do you draw that line? And I thought I like the way you put that uh, the, this this line between uh, the, the, the two genders uh, among kids and how you how you draw that. Thank, uh, thank you very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Beth in Detroit. Beth, welcome to Detroit today. Hi Stephen, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I just wanted to comment on how I feel like it's, it's going to take so much more than just a quick fix to take care of this problem. Like these social constructs really need to change. And what's even more frustrating is as a victim of sexual harassment in the workplace, um, I'm in a male-dominated sector of the workplace, and it's so frustrating when you do report something that's happened, and in this case, my superior is also a female, and I felt very comfortable that this would be taken seriously, and if I was going to tell anyone that it would, it would go somewhere with her. And in fact, I was slapped in the face when nothing happened. And hmm. in fact, this this gentleman received accolades later that year for something else. And so, the aspect of when you do report it and it's not taken seriously or it's just shrugged off like it's not a big deal is even more frustrating and really compounds this whole problem that we have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Beth, thanks very much for the call and, and the candor there about uh, about your situation. Uh, here again, two callers uh, getting at, I think, uh, kind of the same issue here, which is what you do about this. First, what you do uh, to teach young men about how to deal with uh, with other people, with other men and women. Uh, but then the idea of what the, uh, the consequences look like in workplaces, what the atmosphere looks like in a workplace in order to, to, to deal with these things. I mean, these are very complicated issues, Antonia. 
yeah, it's it's difficult to think of quick answers to yeah. any of this. Yeah. I, I share with both of the callers the sense of there's optimism about people coming forward now, but I do think if we think, oh, problem settled, right? People are willing to talk about it now that we're, we're missing a lot and mm -hmm. it's going to come back and be bothering us again very soon. So yeah. this has to be a start of something that continues. I think having men a part of this conversation is very important. There are a lot of images of masculinity, and certainly it's a predominant one, the one we've been talking about, where power and sex so often go together. But I think we all can think of men we admire that don't share that profile, that we think of as strong men, and um, you know, get their power or use their power in other ways. So I think there are different images of masculinity that we can strive for and encourage yeah. um, young men to have, and we definitely need men part of that conversation women telling men how to be masculine you know is not um the way to kind of make um that's not gonna that work right? totally solved right <laughs> and um yeah this idea of a lot of people might come forward now and not get the positive response that we're hearing in the media so exactly. this happens all the time and you know it's it's hard for employers to want to deal with this, right? Yeah. If somebody is a big seller, a big someone with power in that company, I mean, it took so long for these other cases to come forward. So, you know, I would encourage, um, you know, people to keep moving up, the, you know, in terms of who they're talking to. They might get someone who's more supportive, but also recognizing that they are taking a personal risk and yes. they're being brave when they do this. Yeah. And, and we appreciate that, all of us. To, right. Right. Uh, Sherry Hamby, uh, talk about how how this has gives us the opportunity to move forward. Uh, all of this news, all of this attention, does it mark a turning point or can it? Absolutely. I think that this really in my professional career, and I've been doing this work for more than 20 years, I've never seen a moment like this one. And I, I think that it is a, a real opportunity to change some social norms and change some business as usual to create an environment where people are more able to come forward and more likely to, if not certainly going to get a positive responding more likely to, and just to realize that there are you know so many uh, men out there that can be positive role models and, you know, that you're there's certainly no biological destiny for this and that this can, we can bring even more men uh, forward so that everybody is making positive contributions to gender relationships and to workplace environments and that we're not using these sexual assault and sexual harassment as, as tools to, to keep women down and to drain the power of, of other people who could be making a positive contribution. Sure. Okay, Antonia Abbey, Professor and Social Personality Area Chair for the Wayne State University, incoming editor of Psychology of Violence. Sherry Hamby, current editor of Psychology of Violence and director of the Life Pass Appalachian Research Center, research professor at the University of the South. Thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having us. Up next, we're going to talk about the strange and unraveling story of Alabama's Republican Senate candidate Roy Moore caught himself in a wave of stories about sexual harassment and sexual assault. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019. We'll be right back on Detroit Today.